Go ahead and put that first slide up, if you would, please. And we're going to talk about I Am Second. We're wrapping up this series on what it means to be second. And uh, some people don't get excited about being second because we fight all our lives to be first, right? But it's better to come. Jesus said, I didn't come here, you know, to be first. I didn't come to be served. He says, but I come to serve. And in the word of God in other places that we should become like Christ in all things. We should take on the attitude that he had, all right, and become a servant like him. Not considering equality with God something to be grasped, but instead made himself a servant, all right? So it's okay to be a servant. It's okay to, to realize that you're going to be taken advantage of. It's okay, all right? You, see, you hear what I'm saying? You're like, I'm not setting myself up for that. Well, I want to tell you something. God will cause for you to excel in life when you put him first, you put others first, and, and, and you trust him for the outcome. That's what we're talking about. I am second. And last week we talked about putting God first, but ultimately we're talking about this whole subject matter here. Go ahead to the slides if you would, please. And um, he said this, well done. We want to hear this and when we get done with it all. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. How many of you want to hear that from him? Amen? So we're trying to give you the Bible today. The world will tell you something completely different than what I'm telling you, all right? They will say it's a dog-eat-dog world. Sometimes we say that so fast we don't understand what we're saying, all right? But, but it means that the dogs out there, the dogs in life, all they care about is self-survival. All they care. And so guess what? It don't matter who you are. It don't matter how close you are to me. It doesn't matter what you've done for me. If it comes to me living or you living, then I'm going to be the one that's living. And Jesus said this. He says, you know what? No greater love does any man have than this, that he would lay down his life for another. And I, I, I consider it it's so important, such a joy to be able to share this message with you today. And uh, I, I, I wanted, the subject matter I want to share with you, go ahead if you would, please, is the power of the rest of the story. The power of the rest of the story. Now, get ready with that audio, if you would. I'm going to try something here. This is going to sound familiar for some of you who grew up listening to this particular man. See if you can recognize him. And, and uh, the audio version is not too good because it comes from some archives that's pretty old. But I think that you'll be able to uh, hear this, all right? Jeff, we're going to try this. Here we go. And go. There it is. As much as you can. Fred Smith was a student at Yale, trying without much success to make a particularly good impression on his economics professor. But then Fred got this idea for a brief economics thesis, something a whole lot more interesting than you might expect from a college paper. Anyway, the topic, Fred's original idea now, was a super-efficient, privately managed postal service. A hypothetical company that would buy for itself a fleet of jet aircraft and the planes would fly only in the middle of the night? <laughs> Don't get ahead of me. Letters and packages would be taken to a central location for sorting. Then the planes would fly the parcels to their destinations the same evening. That's right. That was the paper that Fred wrote for his economics class. And today, Frederick W. Smith is chairman and president and CEO of that hypothetical company, only it's not hypothetical anymore. Today it employs 290,000 people. It earned $38 billion over the last fiscal year. So in the fleet of jets that Fred envisioned in his economics class paper, 
There are 672 planes in it now and 80,000 other motorized vehicles in the service of, that's right, in the service of Federal Express, the corporation that began as a college whim and became a worldwide sensation in 1971. In the beginning, of course, Federal Express was antithetically defined as an alternative to the government-run postal system. But isn't it interesting? Some of the refinements that Fred Smith incorporated into his revolutionary enterprise were indirectly inspired by the government. You see, after graduating from Yale and enlisted in the Marine Corps, he would serve two tours of duty in Vietnam. Incidentally, he never forget what he considers the best advice he ever got. It was from a Marine sergeant who told him there are only three things you've got to remember. Shoot, move, and communicate. But more to the point, Lieutenant Smith became fascinated by military procurement and delivery procedures. And his observations only encouraged him so that when he got back home, he told himself he would go forward with that overnight commercial delivery service, the one he had dreamed up in college, and his main competitor, the United States Postal Service. Today it's barely holding on to its 32% share of that market against the 31% market share of Fred Smith's Federal Express. And can you imagine? It all started with a college paper for an ordinary economics class. It's not often that the origin of an institution can be pinpointed so precisely. But here's the lesson in all of this. How easily Fred Smith might have been discouraged. Or did I mention that on that school paper he wrote, the one in which he outlined one of the biggest business successes in all American history. On that school paper, he got a C. He was graded a C. <laughs> Only now you know the rest of the story. I apologize. Didn't realize that we were going to have those technical difficulties, but hopefully you got the gist of it. In college, he writes his paper, gets a C on it, but it didn't matter because the idea was enough to make a multi-billion dollar company that still is serving uh, the world today. He had to overcome some challenges, though. He had to overcome some adversity. And how many of you know, looking at Federal Express today, you, you look at it and say, boy, I sure would have liked to start Federal Express. I'd have, I'd have liked to have been the one who was on the other end of that, right? And it isn't until you understand the rest of the story that it really becomes motivating to us. Today, as we talk about the triumphal entry, as we talk about the questions that were a result of this man coming into town and hundreds of people celebrating him and, and crying out and calling him by a title and saying, Hosanna, the Most High. I mean, there, there were still some questions and today I want to give you the rest of the story. And what I want you to understand today is that you are the rest of the story. Look at your neighbor and say, you are the rest of the story, all right? So in uh, Matthew chapter 21, verse number 7, 
Let's open with a word of prayer. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this, this time that we have as far as the body of Christ to gather together in your name. Lord, to break the bread of life, that we would be nourished, that we would be challenged, that we'd be inspired and encouraged to, to carry out the mission to which you have put us here on this earth for. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness and your goodness, and we pray, God, that this, uh, this word will do its work in us so that we can do the work that you've called us to do. We give you praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. In Matthew, the 21st chapter, I think I have that on the screen if you would. Verse number 7, turn there in your scriptures if you, it's too hard for you to see the, the TV here or the one that's, that's over there. But it says this, They brought the donkey and the colt, and they placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. There's this party going on, and earlier you could see the, the miraculous events that basically took place and leading up to this, how Jesus had sent his disciples to go get a, 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 a little donkey, all right, a colt. And he says, and, and these, these people are just going to give this colt to you and tell them that the master has need of it. And uh, they showed up with the, with the, with the colt, and, and Jesus got up on the back of that. He became coming in town, and, and the disciples, and then even other people began to celebrate him coming in. Word of who he was and the, some of the things that he's done began to spread around. But even still, there was this particular subject matter here. Go to the next screen, if you would. This scripture verse says, And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? Look at your neighbor and say, Who is this? And think about that for a moment. Would you go to a parade and then wonder why you're there? Would you go and want to honor someone and make them the guest of honor and, and be clapping your hands and taking off your outer coat and throwing it down and, and taking and cutting off branches off a tree and, 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 and casting it down and, and then be part of the crowd who says, oh, yeah, and who is this for? May I suggest to you today that those people were challenged because they didn't know the rest of the story. In the days to come, there's going to be some events that's going to happen, and Jesus is going to be arrested, and he's going to be standing before a court, and, 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 and there's going to be some events that's going to take place. It's really going to cause for some people to wonder what they do know and what they don't know. The challenge that we have in the body of Christ still today is that there are a lot of people who claim to know Christ but don't know why they know him. They don't know really who he is. For some people, don't I serve Jesus? Don't I, haven't I accepted Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior for the things that he can give me? Well, kind of, partly. Or am I supposed to understand something more? Is there more to this story? We see the disciples probably started this out. They spread their cloaks there down, and, and all of a sudden the people came along, and, and it is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. He rode into that area, and, and, and people can recall some of the stories that happened where he had healed the lame. He had caused for the blind to be able to see, and, and it won't be long for after this particular event. He's going to go in the temple, and he's going to drive out the money changers, and he's, he's, he's basically going to say, you know what? You've made my house a, a den of thieves, and it ought to be called a house of prayer. And Jesus came into town, and he's riding, and there's this, this is going on. But, but they're saying, who is this? 
Next slide, if you would, please. You see, the thing is, is that the praise the people lavished on Jesus was not because they recognized him as a savior from sin. Instead, they were looking for someone who would set them free from the captivity of the Roman government at that time. From the abuses that was taking place. From, and, and certainly, he would be the, the promised one. They hoped he'd be the promised one. Their idea of the promised one was the one who would make their life easier. More comfortable. But when he failed to meet their expectations, when he refused to lead them in a massive revolt against the Roman occupiers, the, these crowds, some of these same people who hailed him as Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, began to cry out, and just under a week later, crucify him. Crucify him, because he hasn't come across with what I thought he should do for me. Now, it probably wasn't everybody. There's still some that were scratching their head and says, hold it, wasn't this, this, this the guy? I mean, there wasn't any newspapers. There wasn't any CNN or Fox News. There wasn't anybody's, you know, twist on the news. <laughs> that was taking place about why this man came. But guess what? They were still wondering. They were still saying, I wonder what's going on. Jesus made this triumphal entry, and, and, and it, it's, it's, this triumphal entry is one of contrast because it, it, it means different things to different people depending on where they're at. You see, this is a story of a king who came as a lowly servant, all right, on a donkey. He wasn't prancing upon a stallion or a steed. He was not in royal robes. He wasn't in, in, in clothes that, that made people think that he was someone important. No, he was in the clothes of the poor and the humble. Jesus Christ came not to conquer by earthly force, but he came to conquer with love and grace and mercy and his own sacrifice to and for the people. This is not a kingdom of armies and splendor, but it's one of lowliness and servanthood. It's one of being second. It's so important for us to understand that. I mean, we cannot even for a moment think that we're going to make the impact that God intended for us to make if we try to do things our way rather than his way. I suggest to you today that he conquers not nations but hearts and minds. His message is one of a peace with God, not of a temporal peace, but an eternal peace. If Jesus has made a triumphal entry into your heart, he reigns there in peace and in love. In other words, you're able to have peace in the midst of adversity. You're able to have love for somebody who has despised you, who has backstabbed you, has looked at you with disdain. You're like, that's impossible. This teaching is too hard, Pastor. Pretty similar to what the disciples said to Jesus on an occasion when he was breaking bread with them. And he talked about that this is my body and this is my blood. And they looked at him and said, what in the world are you talking about? We can't, this teaching is too hard. We cannot follow you down this path. For if we follow you down this path, others will think we're a wacky. Others will think we're crazy. We will lose influence. We will lose the ability to be able to make a difference in our society. Does that sound similar? Does that sound familiar? 
Because that's what the world is trying to do to the church today. The world is trying to silence us. The world is trying to say that the message that we have of the good news of Jesus Christ is irrelevant, that it doesn't make any sense, that that it, it won't change anybody's lives. Well, I'm here to tell you something completely different. You see, I've, I've been walking and working with people for years now that when they truly surrender to Jesus, when they truly make him first and they become second, they discover how, guess what, Lord will provide all my needs. They discover how when they start to look at things that he has provided for them rather than what they provided for themselves, that he is the source, that they have a whole lot less anxiety. They have a whole lot less worry. Some people think they can add days to their life by worrying, but that's in opposition to the word of God. He says, you won't even add one more hour. Why do we live the way that we live? The awesome part about it is that as his followers, if you would please, We exhibit the same qualities. And look at this. The world sees the true king living and reigning and triumph in us. How many of you want that to be the case for you? Amen. You got to get excited about this. You got to get excited about the mission. You need to understand that you are not here for just selfish motivation. If, if all that God wanted to do was to set you free from your sins and to pull you out of this world, all right, then you'd have, been, you'd have been out of here the moment that you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But instead, he left you here to walk it out. He left you here to be a motivation and encouragement for everybody else around you so that you can look at them square in the eye and can say, listen, there's something more to live for than your own interests. There's something to live for more than for your own preferences and your own likes. God wants to do something through you that will cause for people to have a hope, even though their story is not so great. Have you considered the risen Savior? Do you believe? Have you been part of the parade? Have you gathered around him in praise and worship services and and church services and, and got done with it all and said, oh, by the way, who is this for? Who is this for? Well, maybe you haven't said it with your words. Maybe you haven't said it with your mouth, but you said it with your actions. Because sometimes we come to church services and we walk in and and we sing the songs and we encourage one another and we give each other a high five and such, and then we walk out and rather than being world changers, rather than being difference makers, we find ourselves just marching right in line with the rest of the world. Thinking that we cannot make a difference with this message. But it's what we're here for. It's what we're here for. And believe it or not, God is going to use your belief in your trust in him and your life story in order to make a difference in other people's lives. Now you're getting nervous because you're thinking about your life right now. You're thinking about all the times that you've fallen down. You're thinking about all the shame that you have because you haven't measured up and you know the times in which you've let God down. And you're just like, my goodness, if the world is looking to me and it's hoping that I can be a, a difference maker in them, we've got a, some serious problems because I, I just don't know if I'm that best, that good of an example. But I want to tell you something. You've got a story. And God will use that story because it's a probably a common story for other people whom you may be meeting out in the highways and the byways, out in the public square, out in the marketplace. I want to take you to another man who had an encounter on the road again. His name was Paul. 
And Paul was on the road, and he was traveling to go about and do his, some business, some assignment that he was set on, all right? But he got a change. And we're going to talk about his life after his change, all right? And we're going to go to Galatians chapter 1, verse number 11. It's there on the screen, if you would, please. And I'm going to read to you what the Apostle Paul says about what he understands about his mission. And he says this. He says, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For neither I, re- neither, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Next slide. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism. Now I used to perse- how I used to persecute the church of God and beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, say but God. <laughs> All right. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach all right, him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stay with him 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing. He who was once persecuted He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. I want to take a look at a couple things that caused for Paul and the making of Paul and the powerhouse that he was because of the rest of the story. You see, he's not ashamed in the sense of, Cowering, He's not ashamed in the sense of, you know, just, just going and, and, and hiding himself in a dark room away from everybody. But instead, he is motivated to make a difference. He is motivated and he, and, and he thinks, wow, certainly, if somebody can know about what I was once bent on doing, what I once had fixed my eyes on, how, how zealous I was once before for my things and for the things of this world, then certainly they would know that this change that is taking place in me is an awesome thing to take place. Listen, I want to tell you something right now. There's all kinds of false gospels out there. The Apostle Paul warns us about the different gospels, and he says, but there is only one true gospel. Let me, let me just go with you for a moment about some of the gospels. How many of you know about the gospel of self-knowledge? It says this, it says, to thine own self be true, know yourself. He says, no God will save us, we must save ourselves. You, you basically have to do whatever you can do in order to measure up and make things better. It ignores every biblical teaching that we're trying to give to you today, all right? There's another gospel called the gospel of self-love. There's one that says this, it says, you know what, hug yourself and kiss the world, how many of us have heard that? You, you have to learn to love yourself before you can love anyone else. And someone says, well, you know, the Bible says that we must love the Lord our God and then love 
our neighbor as ourselves. So certainly, how can I love? But this is an extremism. This is, a, this is going all the way to where I need to be so love where, I mean, I need to be so much, I need to love myself so much that I'm more concerned about my interests than I am anybody else's. Whitney Houston used to get up and sing. Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. And sold all kinds of millions of records. Saying it over and over again. The one problem is, is that's the opposite to what the word of God teaches. I think we need to spend a little less time worrying about our self-esteem and start worrying about God-esteem. Amen? I think we need to be worrying about loving God and loving others. Becoming second and seeing how God will promote us and put us in the right places at times. There's this gospel of self-improvement. It says, be all that you can be. I mean... I think that you ought to take self-help types of things. I think you ought to implement systems in your life that, that, that help you to think that God's made you more uh, to do accomplish more than what you think that you can in the natural. But listen, the moment you start thinking that all, you can, by systems alone, make yourself better and make yourself useful for the kingdom of God, then you are keeping him totally out of the equation. There's even this gospel of self-sacrifice. It says... Heal the world. Make it better. Self-sacrifice sounds like a noble thing, but Paul reminds us. He says, it does me no good to sacrifice if I don't have love for another. He says, the importance is upon the love. You would you, be a, a clinging gong or a crashing cymbal. But if I have no love, I want to tell you something. God has taken us all down particular paths, and we all probably have different points of origin and, and, and different backdrops, and we can listen to each other's testimony. And I hopefully by the, by the end of all this, you'll, you'll understand that God has given you your life. And, and he hasn't, while he hasn't orchestrated every bad thing that has happened, he, will, he does know what you've gone through. And he wants you to take those opportunities, take those stories that you have, those occasions, those, those interactions with other people, as painful or even as pleasant as they are, and use them for his glory. He wants you to have a story that, that talks about the way you was before and the way you are now. When you say, but God. Amen? I want you to listen to this video on the CPU if you turn the audio up on that. And you'll be able to watch a little bit of it here, I believe, on this screen. And at least listen to the audio of that if you would, please. Go ahead. Our stories are a collection of moments tucked away deep inside our hearts and minds. Moments from the past. For some of us, what happened in the past can limit our present or cloud the future. We hear a voice from within, a voice that says, you are damaged goods. You are disqualified, weak. What this world sees as broken, Jesus sees as beautiful. Where culture sees defeat, Jesus sees potential. What society labels as rejected, Jesus offers redemption. The Bible tells us that Jesus uses the weak to shame the strong and the foolish to shame the wise. When we're at our weakest, that's the very place we can tap into the strength of God. It's in this new perspective 
that we realize our past doesn't have to define us any longer because we are the community of those who couldn't make the cut. The gathering of those not good enough. So may your grief bring about his goodness. May your pain bring out trust in his promises. The past that brought us shame can find renewal in one name, Jesus. I believe the Apostle Paul gave us three quick ways that I want to accent out of the passage that we just read and how we can take this life that is all tattered and torn, the path that many of us have walked and the way in which enemy wants to keep us down and we can recognize how we're going to be making a difference today with our story. Here in verses 11 and 12 of their Galatians chapter 1, just going to be summarizing I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You need to understand that the origin of the gospel was from God himself, not from man. Paul begins and he says, let me make this perfectly clear. It's not according to man. It's not, Paul here talks about his independence from man. He says, listen, this is a message from God. You need to understand how God has enabled you and called you to be ambassadors of the Most High God. Amen? God's called you. Look at your neighbor and say, he's called you. The origin is from God. For you to be here today and to hear this message and to leave this place and to get ready to invite people out to hear about the resurrection story. Amen. He's called you. It's originated from God, not from man. Its transmission was not from men. God made, Paul made it very clear that, that he had limited contact with the previous uh, leaders. He says, you know what, I so much wanted to be transformed by God himself that I went away for three years. I took myself away for three years, and when I finally came back, it's what we read a few moments ago, he says, the only people I came into contact was was, with with James and and Peter on just a a short little occasion. And from that point, he says, I was sent out. He says, my thoughts are not my own. They're not from other people. They are from God Almighty. There's a revelation of Jesus Christ. There is an experience that he had that produced a change within his life. It wasn't just an experience that he was going to go back into and recall that and say, from this point forward, I'm going to constantly be looking for another experience. I'm going to constantly be looking for a time in which God knocks me off of my high horse. You see, that's the mistake that a lot of people make is they they come to know Jesus Christ. They've got all these things that are going wrong in their life, and it is a marvelous experience and encounter that they have with God. And they can remember the occasion. They can remember the song that was being sung. They can remember the message that was shared. They can remember the events that was happening in their life. And for some reason, we are more attached to that experience and an encounter and the feeling of good that it gave to us that we want to relive that over and over again. And so we'll live our whole life, our whole Christian life, trying to recreate that moment again, remember when, and not looking towards what God wants to use us and how he wants to use us in the future. You see, there's greater things that he wants to do. He sets you free so that you can be free from sin, so that you can make a difference in other people's lives. 
Second thing is this. Go ahead if you would, please. Is that God has set you apart. The messenger of the gospel, he set him apart from his mother's wombs. I want to tell you something today. God has set every single one of us in different paths, in different, in, in different journeys. But the place where he wants us to end up is all the same. He sets you apart. He said, you, you might say, well, well he, are you, you're thinking that he really, he called me? He's allowed for some things to happen. If God set me apart and he wanted me to be an influencer for him, then why is it that I feel like I'm such a mess up instead? Because there's other mess ups out there just like you. There's other individuals out there that's just like you that need to hear and know, you know what? You're doing your best. You're trying hard. And, and for whatever reason, you, you wasn't able to be wise enough to recognize how the enemy was going to attack you at this particular season or this particular way. But guess what? God has not given up on you. He set you apart. He's revealed his son in you. Think about that for a moment. You have, you have come to this particular place in your relationship with the Lord where you're saying, you know what, Lord? More of you, less of me. How many of you are saying that, right? The Apostle Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to somehow identify with him in his suffering. Why? So that I might come to know him. That I might have him be revealed through me. That, that other people will look and recognize and say, boy, what a mess up or what a lookingly, uh, seemingly so influential person that he is. And yet somehow, someway, the truth of the change that's taking place in me bears witness with other people. And I can make a difference, just like you can make a difference. Paul had heard of Jesus. Paul knew much about him. He was a persecutor of him. He was one who thought that he was doing everything right until God knocked him off of his high horse and says, uh-uh. Why are you persecuting me? Oh, I'm not saying that we don't need to have that experience, that we don't need to have that encounter. We do. But it's not the encounter that you need to kind of re try to relive. It is the future growth that needs to happen. It is that when you fall down, you recognize that he is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's the realization that you cannot do anything in your own righteous acts, that your righteous acts, your righteousness is like filthy rags. Why is that important for us to understand? Because if we don't understand it, every single one of us who's ever failed in here will continue to feel like failures and never be motivated to going forward. And it's the world in which we live. People try to fill themselves with all of the kinds of things, but they don't understand this. And this last point I want to just zero in on is it's the power of the gospel. He who once persecuted us now is preaching. Think about that. Paul is struck blind by a bright light. He hears a voice from heaven calling his name. And I doubt that many of us can measure up to that. I'm not sure about you, okay? But you know what? All of a sudden, you know, there's this bright light. And I, I would love to kind of have that experience. But you know what scared me half to death too, right? But here he is. And he's, he's having this experience. But his emphasis when he retells his story is not upon the experience, but it's upon the change. 
Your life and your, your, your the, the story that you have needs to not be. And I remember when I was at this particular place and they were singing this particular song and this was going on and, and all these things. And I remember the goosebumps that were going up and down my back. And I can remember crying so hard. I can remember feeling so bad. Those are important things that's the experience. But listen, if there's no change, if there's no change, then what is your story? Next slide says this, the reality of our Christian experience is to be seen far more in the change than in our experience. If there's no change, then there's a, there's a real reason to doubt the validity of the experiences. I mean, lots of people in the world have cried. Lots of people in the world have felt sorry for the things that they've done, but guess what? That's not what motivates people. What motivates people is when they see people like the Apostle Paul, who was once so bent on doing things his way, who thought he was headed about, who, headed in the right direction, had to humble himself and say, guess what? I thought I was on God's side. Only to realize that he was doing it wrong. The Apostle Paul is trying to share with us this important aspect of grace. How important it is that we can demonstrate to other people that his grace is sufficient for you. Faith, true faith, believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died upon a cross, that he that, that by the shedding of his blood took away all my sins, that him being raised up out of the grave. I mean, it's so hard to preach sometimes the gospel during this, this particular season because, you know, I want to wait for that big old grand culmination of it all when we talk about Easter and he comes out. But, but the, the gospel is only not complete unless we speak about how he has power over the grave each and every time. Amen. You see, faith demonstrates itself in a changed living way. If there isn't a story of change to tell, if Jesus makes little or no difference in your daily living, then I think you have every reason. Now, here's what I want to do. I'm not trying to put doubt in you, but you have every reason to question whether or not you have truly submitted and made him the Lord of your life. That's scary. Because you've heard for often, many times people say, well, all i got to do is just say this simple prayer. Listen, I'm not trying to add things to it. I'm trying to tell you the result. You see, the Bible says, the Apostle Paul says, he says, listen, the true faith manifests itself in changed living. He says this, show me your faith without your works, so it says in James, and I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, you don't do works to get saved, but the works testify that you are saved. Amen? The works that you see, lots of people are walking around and they and they just still got their they're still just experiencing the, these little bits of high spots and, and low spots in life, and, and they're not really sure what they're there for. I'm telling you what you're here for. You've been called by God, not by man. You've got a message from Him, and you've been called to make a difference. You've been called to share your story, your story of both successes and failures, but the story, most importantly of all, of God's constant faithfulness, of the characteristics that he has, of the attribute that he says, I will not give up on you. I'm constantly working all things together for your good. Will you recognize me? Will you acknowledge me today? Because if you do, I will lead and guide and direct your paths. Amen. <laughs> What's your story? Are you ashamed of your story? I'm going to ask the praise team to come if they would, please. 
Are you one of these individuals who have confessed to be a Christian and, and, and you are a Christian, but, but you, you've got this idea in your heart and mind that the only way that you can be effective is making sure that everybody thinks you've got it right all the time? Because the Bible says this, there's no one who's without sin. None of us. And he's speaking to the church when he's, when he's saying this. The Apostle Paul, writer of two-thirds of the New Testament, speaks of a time in Romans 7. He says, listen, I want to tell you something. I'm miserable at this. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. He says, what a wretched man I am. But thanks be to Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he goes on and he talks about, listen, he says, I recognize that God is working for me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? Amen? God is wanting to set this church on fire, but he's wanting to set the church on fire with the people who know why they went to the parade. They want who know why they're in, why they're throwing down their, 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 their desires, throwing down their preferences, why they're willing to be self-sacrificing. Because guess what? You make a difference in other people when you become second and he becomes first. You need a story, and the story needs to be. It needs to accent, needs to let you know, this is the way that I was before God. And, and, and even sometimes this is the way in which I was with God. And then he had to set me straight. He had to bring me back into alignment because I was doing things my way and it really wasn't making a difference. We've created this fictitious idea for so many people within the body of Christ that Christians are perfect. Now listen, we want to have the bumper stickers and the other things that say otherwise because we want a free pass. When it comes to us being real with ourselves or real with each other, oh, everything's got to be straight. Everything's got to be perfect. I wonder instead what would happen if we spoke to each other about the struggles that we have, about the temptations that came to us, and about how without God, about how with Jesus, about how without, without his Holy Spirit that I couldn't be even going on one more day, that I am literally holding on, not by a thread, but instead because of the power of an almighty God. I'm holding on because of the Holy Spirit connection that I have and the belief about why I came to the parade. Who is this for? This is for the people who are the rest of the story. Jesus Christ came and he walked upon the face of the earth. He showed us the way in which we should lay down our lives for others. And he says, how about you? Will you be my storyteller? You're the rest of the story. In your life groups this afternoon or later on this week, you'll read and talk about a woman that Jesus met at a well. And they're having conversation, and he talks about how living water, he could give it to her. And he says, if you knew who I was, get this, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink. I wonder how many people are going about the regular motions of life and don't even realize that they're entertaining the very presence of Almighty God who's trying to lead them down a path and trying to give them living water so that they can thirst no more. Oh, he went on and he dealt with some things. Talked about her marital relationship and how the man she's living with now is not even her husband. 
And the interesting thing about that passage is that before we see any salvation experience, Jesus doesn't kind of run all that stuff through the, the salvation experience screen before he begins to minister to her. And this woman who has had truth told to her goes back to her town and begins to do something that every single one of us need to do. And that is tell the story. And other people came out with her to meet Jesus. <laughs> Is that what you're going to do? Or will you wallow in your misery? Will you keep the stiff upper lip? Will you not let anybody in on the struggles that you're going through? Because that's what we're supposed to do. And the Apostle Paul himself recognized that there was a thorn in his flesh. Three times he asked the Lord, take it away, take it away, take it away. And some of us would think, well, if he'd been more spiritual, if he'd had more faith, well, that's not what the Word of God says. He said, listen, you're worried about the wrong thing. My grace, my gift is enough for you. Amen. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we come to you here tonight or today. We're thankful that we have the opportunity to lift you up in this place. And that we can declare that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That as we hold this parade today in our hearts and in this church, as we celebrate who you are, that, that we can recognize and say you are Jesus, the Son of the living God, in whom we put our trust. Who is this man? You are my Savior. What will I do with this message? I will take it to the lost world. There may be somebody here today with every head bowed and every eye closed that does not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. If you were to die today, you're not sure that heaven would be your home. Well, I want to tell you something that can change for you today. Today you can start a new path. You can get on a new direction. But you got to say, I'm willing to be second, and I want to put him first. If that's you in this place today, you say, I want a change in my life. I don't want to just, I don't want just fire insurance, but I want a change in my life. I'm willing to put my, my feet where my mouth is. Amen. I'm willing to walk the walk.